Hello, everybody, and welcome back, or welcome to DIY Me Mind Presents, the show with the most convoluted and unremarkable and unmemorable name on iTunes. Today, DIY Me Mind presents your host wearing his behavioral science hat, his social psychology hat, his research psychology hat. And that's not the psychology of doing research. That's research that supplants therapy and supplants therapeutic techniques and helps us understand the human mind a little better. Today, we're talking about something called identification, which is exactly what it sounds like, but here are a few definitions. In an article written by a scientist who used to be my PhD advisor before I was arrested and banned from campus, but that's a story for another time. Um, No hard feelings with the university at this point. Um, or anybody I worked with, including Dr. Michael Hogg, who wrote in a 2004 article that Wright and colleagues, W-R-I-G-H-T and colleagues, said identification is the extent to which we include the group in the self, or the self-concept. Should I re-record myself saying group? Nope, every time I say group, the microphone picks up the P. So, oh well. Um, So this means, basically, the extent, identification is the extent to which membership in a certain group or a certain person, we could talk about identification with an individual, is important to our own self-concept. It's important to our understanding of the world. Is a big part of the description of who we are. When someone asks who we are, when you go on a first date and you try to get across who you are, a lot of times you start talking about your religion or Well, it's good to keep it light on our first date, but you know what I'm saying? That identification is the extent to which being part of another entity's life or another entity is important to you. Measures, survey measures of identification ask things like, How important is being a part of this group? If we're talking about groups again, my research was on groups and identification with groups and evaluation of group members in the context of a group situation. Um, So I like to focus on identification with groups because that's more concrete. It's easier for people to understand. Other questions on measures of identification include 
How similar do you feel to this group? How much a part of your self-concept is this group? And we intuitively have an understanding of what these questions mean. Um, you might on that last question put unsure as a response if that was available as a response in the survey because that's a little more complex a question of how much something is a part of your self-concept, what is a self-concept, etc. If you're very scientifically minded, if you're very analytical, then that question might actually be confusing and need um, more detail. But anyway, we get a sense of what identification is. Um, the extent to which the thing we're identifying with defines us. How much, in the case of groups, we can say, I am a part of that group, and it is a part of me. So what's interesting about that? Well, nothing in and of itself, um, unless you're a measurements guy, or girl, um, or woman, and you're interested in better measuring identification or figuring out what the different components of identification are. But I'm interested in the interaction, a scientist would say, between identification and other concepts, other things. Specifically, how identification differs between groups that are more or less agreed on a topic and depending on how uncertain you feel in a social situation. So basically we're talking about three different variables here. We're talking about the extent to which a group agrees on something and people tend to identify more the research shows if you buy the research, which I do because it's sort of intuitive that it's not saying that much that we prefer to identify with groups that have a clear norm or a clear average tendency that are defined clearly. So we prefer, for example, to identify either as Democrat or Republican um, rather than there are far fewer people identifying as the other party members or with the other parties, partially, possibly, because we don't exactly know what they believe. They believe a mix of conservative and liberal things and we know for example that a democrat is pro-choice anti-war most likely um, pro-concern about um, climate change stuff like that we know the green party is very concerned with climate change but 
we don't really know where they stand on other issues. So there's an example of preferring to identify with groups that are not on the fence about things or aren't equally pro this and against this. So if a party was split down the middle on abortion, on the issue of abortion, then we would be less attractive to, to that group. Most individuals would be. Again, we're talking about three variables here. The extent to which a group agrees, the extent to which we identify with the group, and then there's this thing called uncertainty, which is a social science term, but also a term in physics for not knowing where a particle is exactly. Um, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, and this ties back into humans, watch, watch what I do here, um, is about either knowing the direction or the speed of a particle and never being able to know both things at one time. It's more generally about never being able to locate a particle but being able to predict generally where it might be. Um, and similarly to people where we can be uncertain how a situation will go um, for us. Basically, if we're a self-aware particle and we don't know exactly where we're going to end up, we feel uncertain about a situation. Um, Self-uncertainty is being unsure about who we are. Um, so for example, again, we go on a first date. Someone asks you where you stand on an issue that you've never really thought about. You're self-uncertain. So what do you do? Well, research and theory suggest that what we do when this third variable uncertainty, self-uncertainty, is introduced into a situation that identification uh, comes into play and we fall back on what a group or person that we highly identify with believes themselves to figure out what we believe in the situation. Getting a little more interesting, right? Getting into the deeper way we think about things. Um, but the main point of this podcast episode is to talk about my dissertation research, which I never finished, but I would like to talk about it and the future directions it was going to go before I had a little bit of a breakdown and was asked to leave the city in which my school was, which made it difficult to focus with legal issues at hand on finishing my PhD, but 
I did not get kicked out because I didn't know what I was talking about and in fact passed my oral examination where they could quiz us on anything we learned in the four years that we took core classes during. Um, and I passed that. So it's not that I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, just thought I would put that out there. So the one study that really clearly popped or worked out and showed clear results um, in my dissertation, which usually involves several studies or experiments, um, but in the one that really worked out, and I guess they don't tell you that as a scientist, you will have quite a few failed experiments. That doesn't mean the ones that worked are fraudulent. That just tells you that when they work, you have something real, like a real result, in my mind, anyway. Um, in my study, I, first of all, did what we call priming people with the concept of uncertainty. So half of my participants were asked to think of situations where they feel uncertain. Um, and this is priming the concept of uncertainty making half of my participants feel a little self-uncertainty. Then one-third of the people exposed to what we call this uncertainty manipulation, um, one-third of those people participated in a survey and then saw that the rest of the people that participated with them supposedly all believed one way on the same survey that they took. So they were asked a question about how risky a move this person in a hypothetical situation should make. One third of people who were exposed to the uncertainty manipulation were told that the group that they took the survey with either A, wanted the risky outcome and all agreed they wanted the person in the hypothetical situation to do the risky thing. One third of the uncertainty people were exposed to a group that were on the fence, basically, that some people believed in the cautious route, some people believed they weren't sure, some people believed in the risky route. Then the last third of people exposed to the uncertainty manipulation, um, so asked to think about uncertainty, were shown a survey group that all wanted the cautious route. So again, we have half of my participants listing things that make them feel uncertain. And then a third of those exposed to either a group that wants the cautious outcome or action, a group that's on the fence, or a group that wants the person in the hypothetical situation to do the risky thing.
then after people listed things that made them uncertain, filled out a survey about a hypothetical person, and then saw the answers of the rest of the people who were also taking the survey at the same time, were asked if they had to have a discussion with this group, would they pick a new group or would they stay with the current group? This was a measure. We also asked them how similar they feel to the survey group, how much a part of the group, all these questions that have to do with identification. But we called that first measure a behavioral measure of how much someone would actually stay with a group if given the option to leave and work on the study or the survey or discuss their answers on the survey with a new group. So we took this as a measure of sort of identification with the group. It's hard to measure identification with the group that you just met and actually you haven't, you haven't seen in person. You just know they're taking the survey at the same time as you. So we didn't really get any results when looking at the measure of how similar or how important the group is to you. But we got results when looking at this measure of whether people would stay with the, their group or not. And what we found was kind of interesting. I'll let you digest, though, for a second. Um, so again, people listed what made them feel uncertain. They filled out a questionnaire asking what this person in a hypothetical scenario should do. The riskier or the more cautious action then we're told that their group either all mostly wanted the cautious option, the risky option, or were on the fence and equal people, amounts of people wanted both. Um, and then we measured identification. What we expected to find was that people prefer to stay more with groups that agree, whether cautious or risky, the group that was on the fence was supposed to be the group that most people would actually leave. What we found instead was in order, respectively, people identified the most with the risky leaning group, then with the group on the fence, and then the least with the group that leans towards the cautious option. And there are two reasons, really majorly two reasons, why this could have happened. We ruled out a lot of other reasons, like let's say older participants were the ones that viewed the risky leaning groups and so whatever, whatever thing you can come up with, we controlled for. And we had equal numbers of people of all ages in each what we call experimental condition. Um, so we ruled out demographic variables. 
Um, and then the literature suggests that people identified more with the risky group because in hypothetical scenarios, most people don't care what happens to the person in the scenario. So they will choose the riskier because the riskier choice yields the highest returns. So in these surveys, the risky option is attractive because you get more, basically, in return for taking the risk. But it's riskier, so you might not get that return. The cautious option pays out less, basically, but is more guaranteed. So in most cases, people, when they view these scenarios, though, they don't care about the consequences because the consequences are not real. So they'll go for the risky option. Now, in our study, that would mean that the majority of people who identified with their group when they agreed on the risky outcome or action would themselves have indicated that they want the risky option. And that was not the case. So again, to put it another way, stick with me. This is where it gets a little complicated, but um, you would think that people possibly identified most with groups that preferred the risky action because they themselves tended towards the risky action when they filled out the survey themselves. And so they felt similar to this group that mostly agreed to take the risky option. However, that would mean that when we looked at the data, the majority of people who identified most or would stay most likely with the group that was skewed risky would themselves have indicated that they preferred the risky option. And this was not the case. We found no pattern and people were just as likely to have indicated that they preferred the cautious option, even if they identified more with the risky group. I'll say that a different way. That you would think if most people indicate the risky option in a hypothetical scenario, that that is the reason they identified most with the group that also preferred the risky option. However, when you look at who indicated that they prefer the risky group to stay with the risky group, you find that some of them marked cautious and some of them marked risky, some of them marked unsure. So that's not why they identified. They didn't identify with the risky skewed group because they themselves preferred the risky option. Instead, and this is where future research 
would have come in handy. Um, and I see no purpose in really doing that. Um, now that I have no access to journals where I could actually publish um, my research. I have one research article out there um, under David N. Somlo, published in a journal called Social Influence, which doesn't mean I want to be a social influencer and which doesn't mean I learned about mind control as many people fear psychologists can control people's minds and that's what they learn how to do no they learn stuff like what I'm talking about right now which is kind of intuitive in a way kind of just another way to look at how we interact and socialize hence this is social psychology Anyway, the other explanation that I wrote in my dissertation for these results is that the word caution is synonymous with uncertainty. That when we're uncertain, that's when we tiptoe around a situation. That's when we pick the least risky option. So perhaps people actually took the scenario seriously. And the reason they identified most with the group that was skewed towards the risky action is that when you're uncertain, you want to go with the people that seem to know what they're doing. And when someone takes a risk, it's the opposite, really, of being uncertain and being unsure of oneself. You take the cautious option when you're not sure you can get the bigger payoff. In one of the scenarios, for example, a person is either going to take the risky route and study something that is an obscure topic but would yield very interesting results and make them famous as a professor, let's say. Um, or they could study what their advisor told them to study and they would make a living but maybe not be a star professor like they would if the other topic of research worked out. So the gambling example doesn't really work, but the example I just gave, if someone takes the risky option, then they're really sure that their research is going to work out and they're going to be that star professor. Um, so this is a novel finding, and that's why it was pretty cool to see um, in my own data that, again, it wasn't because people identified with a group that marked the same answer that they would have marked. 
it's because risk is associated with certainty. And so when you're made to feel uncertain, there is a risky shift. A risky shift is a phenomenon that was debunked a little while ago, um, maybe in the 70s. Someone wrote a dissertation, someone named Stoner, wrote a dissertation showing that people, after they discussed a survey question um, about risk and caution, it showed that after discussion, groups always tended towards the more risky option, riskier than the average of their individual responses. Um, but then they found that it really depends on where they start. So if the average of the individual scores was cautious, then the group polarized. It's called group polarization now because it doesn't just go in the direction of risk. It goes in the direction of caution if the average of the individual responses was already cautious. So group discussion in group polarization basically accentuates the answer that the group already gave individually. So if you imagine a graph of responses on a scale, let's say someone is asked to rate something on a scale of negative five to five. Let's say the average is three um, and the most common answer, let's say is four. Um, this is just taking the individual responses of let's say 20 people and graphing them. We find that the average is three, the most common response is four. After you get these individuals together to discuss that one survey question, let's say they're rating a movie. You get the group together to discuss that movie. They're gonna find out for several reasons. Um, they're gonna find that there's more information that paints the movie in a positive light because if the most common answer is four then there's going to be the majority of people who liked the movie therefore the majority of the critiques and the reasoning behind the answers that comes up in discussion is going to be pro the movie basically and then also there's this there's peer pressure basically called social normative influence that once you find out the majority of a group like the movie then you're more likely to change your answer from negative two let's say to maybe even just two but that brings up the the average from three to, let's say, 3.5. Um, so after discussion, the group polarizes on the answer that most people had already, and the average shifts in the direction 
of the opinion that most people had. Now, that said, that means that there's no such thing as risky shift, just shift. But my research showed that there are some situations where risk is actually preferred because it's risky and because it's the opposite of uncertainty. And that's basically the gist of what I have to say today. Thank you for listening. To sum that up again, though, the reason my dissertation findings are interesting is that they found people identify more with groups, not just that agree on something and therefore have a clear identity and reduce uncertainty when people feel uncertain, but it's actually identification with a group that agrees on a risky action to take specifically so it debunks a debunking where risky shift was debunked now there is a situation where people prefer a group that not only agrees but agrees on the risky route to take future research could look at whether polarized groups are identified with more so like after a group discusses a movie and their average answer shifts do they also identify more with that discussion group probably for many factors that we would have to rule out or rule in depending on what we predict is the real major cause but i would suspect that interaction itself is the cause of identifying more with the group rather than it being polarized but there could be research teasing apart these two explanations for why people identify with a polarized group and you could have some people who didn't interact and some people who did interact and see if identification is even stronger or strongest even among people who interacted and whose group polarized with people identifying the least when their group did not polarize and they did not interact. If that last part didn't make sense, don't worry, that's probably why I didn't make it in academia. If it did make sense, call me a former educator and let's leave it at that. Thank you. Bye-bye.